Hello and welcome to another episode of the Life Capoeira with my guest Pontremestre Bacaco. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So let's start at the beginning. When did you start Capoeira? How did you find out about this art? Um, let's see. I started Capoeira, man, I think it was the 99, 2000. My older brother, Panazino, he started doing Capoeira about a year I'd say about a year before I did. And he brought home a beating belt. And so I've always been very, very curious about music. And so, uh, you know, I would sneak into his room. You know, he had to leave it strung up. He didn't know any better. So, you know, I'd sneak in there and like kind of mess with it. One day I saw him trying to figure out how to play it. And I thought to myself, I said, man, this is like, this is really cool. So let me try to figure this out. And uh, along with him starting Capoeira, there was this um, VHS I was like being passed around. That's like how long ago I was doing Capoeira when everybody was sharing the same VHS, you know. And on this VHS, it was Master Spiel Medium's Academy. These Capoeiristas went to go visit his academy. And man, there was just like so much Capoeira on this, this VHS. It's probably like, I don't know, 15 hours of just Capoeira footage. And so I was watching it and I saw two guys. I can't remember who they were. Um, I believe one of them was Master Pelezinho. And uh, they were like stringing up the beating bell and then they were playing the beating bell. So I just kind of sat there and I was watching and I've always had the gift of like playing music by ear. So I kind of figured out what was going on just by hearing what they were doing. And so I ended up teaching myself how to play beating bell at like 11 years old. And so that pretty much started my curiosity, at least with the, the beating bell and, and the capoeira music. And so I did that. Honestly, I was sneaking to my brother's room every time he would go to an event or go train. Oh man, I did that for like two years before I actually started training. And so I think around the age of like 12 and a half, 13, I actually decided to train because my older brother started to teach. And so that was pretty much what started the journey, of, you know, Capoeira. And uh, I, yeah, I think when I, when I guess when I started training, I could already play the beating ball like pretty well. I could already play Salvento Gunji Angola, like really clean. You know, before I even knew these names, I could play Angola, I could play uh, Salvento Grande Gimnasti Bimba. So it was quite funny, quite funny coming into Capoeira and, and having sort of that musical background already and kind of coming into to before I could even jink it, which is so crazy. Uh, but yeah, so that's how I got started. And then in my early years, so I trained with um, Capoeira Manjinga, Capoeira Manjinga, and then I trained from there, I transitioned to Capoeira Centro Sul. And then from Central Sul, so Central Sul is a, is a capoeira group here in, in California, where I live in the United States. And then from there, I went to Grupo Senzala. So I was Senzala for, for a little while. And then uh, I think in 2007, so this is probably like five, six years, seven years, somewhere around there of capoeira. Then I joined a group, Cordon Gio. So I was Cordon Gio all the way up until 2022, so last year. And so last year I started my own Capoeira school, Capoeira Savannah. And I believe the name for that came from Mestre Nego Chivo. What made him choose Capoeira Savannah for your, your Capoeira group? Yeah, he said that he had a dream. And the dream, it was sort of like in the time when we were trying to decide a, like a name for, you know, the way that I presented it to him was like my Capoeira project. I didn't even really have like a school in mind. It was just like some sort of project idea. And he said that the visions that came to him were trees. 
they came to him in the form of a tree. And so the first tree that he saw was a, a baobab tree, which is the, you know, the really interesting looking tree in Africa, but it's, it's in the African safari, um, in the, in the, in the savannah, you know, and the other tree that came to him was the acacia tree. And so both of these trees, you know, like I said, they're, you'll find these in the African savannas. And so I think the initial name was Baobab that he had given me, but then he was like, you know, I think there's something bigger, your project, your idea, your concept, who you are in Capoeira, it's so much bigger. And I think both of those trees live in the space that you've created. And so he came up with the name Capoeira Savannah. Nice. Now, the difficult topic to move on to is obviously you with CDO and obviously the sexual assault allegations that were made against a number of the, of the higher up teachers there and obviously Mestre Suasana himself. Um, what's your take on that whole event and, and, and did you sort of witness and see and, and how, we, how are you feeling now that we're sort of a year or so, obviously since your group has started and, and I think it was around year or two ago, if I recall, that the allegations first came to light. Yeah, man, what an interesting situation that, that occurred. You know, my take on it is I'm glad that these things got out. Um, I mean, obviously, you you know, when you find out something so so horrid, you're like, man, I really hope all parties involved are in jail now. And, you know, these things, man, they're, they're so unfortunate that these are the things that we have to worry about in life, you know. Uh, I think the interesting thing that happened was there were a lot more discussions um, and necessary discussions. I think a lot of the masters who knew about these things knew that this was the time that they needed to step up and speak. Um, and they knew that they were protected and they had people who were going to stand behind them, you know, uplift them in, in their choices to separate from, you know, that, that group. And um, yeah, it was interesting because most of my Cordon Giotto training was here in the United States under Master Pinciado, actually. So Master Pinciado was, you know, the, the person who kind of got the ball rolling as far as the interviews and, and kind of uh, the whistleblower, if you will, for the whole situation. And uh, and he was a student of Master Sfiomini, you know. So, yeah, I think that whole situation, man, was, was it was so necessary. I think um, it's just devastating to, to know that a lot of people were really affected by it, you know the manifestations and the and promises and uh, just a lot of the evil acts, you know? Uh, yeah, man, that, that was a really tough situation. And I think it was interesting to kind of navigate because, I, you know, people assume, you know, Makaki, you must have known, you know, you were there and you must have known because of the your association to all the masteries. And I'm like, you know, a lot of my training was here in the U.S., so not really. You know, you all, you heard rumors, um, but you never knew if, if they were just rumors or, or anything because, you know, by the time we're here, you know, things are different. You know, in the United States, these guys were on their best behavior. So it's, it was so hard to know if that was the case, you know. But yeah, I, I did get a little sick to my stomach for sure because, you know, it's like some of these guys I like ate food with and, mm. and yeah, man, it was, it was, it was tough, really tough. But yeah, like I said, moving forward, I think I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, people were really, who were responsible for those acts, you know, some legal, you know, actions were taken and, and uh, you know, the group has done like a, a major cleanup for sure for those who I've, I've spoken to. Uh, but I think most people just left. You know, why would you stick around? Yeah. And of course, that isn't the 
only difficulty that you've faced with your capoeira, more personally, I think it was 14 years ago, you first started dialysis. How did that impact the training? And, and obviously, 14 years is a long time. How how are things progressing now? Yeah. So let's see, 2000, it was 2010, the end of 2010, so 2009. Yeah. I ended up on end stage, diagnosed with end stage renal failure. And so, you know, end stage kidney failure. And I started dialysis, which, man, in my 20s, it's like, you know, I'm super athletic, I'm strong, I'm training like a crazy person, traveling, and then boom, I get sick. So life definitely changed um, immediately. For the first three months, I couldn't even walk. You know, I was, my body atrophied so fast. And man, I was going through quite a bit of changes. You know, I think at the time I was taking um, something like 32 medications you know, a few times a day. So, you know, like around 64 medications at once. And, you know, even with that, your body just starts to change. You know, I lost, uh, man, I lost a lot of weight. I think I weighed like, well, I think I weighed like 125 at, so at one point. And I'm 5'11". So, yeah, I went from like 175, almost 180 to 125 in like a week. It was, man, it was, yeah, it was rough. So then, you know, I had to make a mental decision. Did I want to be a sick person or, man, did I want to just bounce back and just start training again? So just day by day, I took it really, really slow. I think the first day I was able to move around like 10 seconds, you know, wasn't much. Just got up, one Jenga, and I sat back down. Maybe next week or two weeks after that, I got about 30 seconds of training. And then, uh, man, one day, I think it was maybe like a month and a half after that, I don't know what it was. And I trained for an hour, just out of nowhere. And that that day I knew, I was like, you know what, I think I could probably push, probably get back somewhat, some sort of training, you know, good good routine. And so about six months, yeah, man, I, I had a catheter in my chest. Nobody knew. I didn't tell, you know, a lot of people that I was sick, but you could tell because I showed up and I looked like a stick. So you know, people were just like, you good, man? I'm like, I'm all right. Catheter in my chest. I just taped it down and I showed up to an event. It was an event in L.A., with uh it was Mastery Shara's event, rest in peace. And Master Shikochi was in town. And so I pulled up, people were just like, Whoa, Macaque, we haven't seen you or heard from you in six months. We thought you died. We thought you moved away. We thought you joined the army or something. Like people just didn't know. And uh man, I played. I remember I just so sore the next day. I don't think I could walk for like a week. I was just like, man. And then I told people, and uh, some folks, they, they anticipated that there was something wrong. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people were shocked. They're like, no, wait a minute, you got a catheter hanging out your chest, and you're crazy. And so I think after that day, I knew that I could probably start, you know, training harder and pushing and showing up to events. But I also learned, man, just being around capoeira people, that environment really, like, just made me feel so good. And uh, I kind of forgot I was sick that day. So I was like, you know what? I think this is something I should hold on to. There's something really special um, within that couple of space. And so, yeah, ever since then, I never looked, I never looked back. If anything, I gave, a, I give a lot more to couple of now than I was, you know, before I got sick. I guess there's often silver linings to these clouds. So they sometimes prefer not to have the clouds in the first place, but it's, you've got to find those silver linings where you can. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously gone from strength to strength um since then 
Where did your apellido Macaco come from? Mm -hmm. So Macaco is, I know a lot of people think it's the actual move, Macaco, but the Macaco is one of the major cities in Palmares, the community. And so when I was young, so I was like a half age in between like, like the teenagers, I was, I was you know, a teenager, but a young teenager. The generation that I started with was all like 18, 20, you know, so in between there were the children who were like nine and 10 and, you know, five and six and seven, the little guys, little girls. And so they would always gravitate to me. They would always come around. And so I remember one of the masters was like, man, you remind me of the story, Makaku, because you're like a space of refuge where all people always kind of gravitate towards you. They're always seeking, like, the, I see the younger kids looking for you to, like, follow you. And they look for you to, like, kind of for safety kind of kind of thing. Like, even at events, um, anytime I would go, like, to get ready to buy in, there would always be, like, a bunch of kids kind of, like, being around me. Like, can we go to Makaku? Like, are you going to stand by here and watch me go play? So it was always kind of like that that vibe. And as I've gotten older, it's, it's kind of been the same thing where, you know, people have, you know, people go through things with their groups and, and different schools. And I know I always find people come to me to come learn and just be around because, you know, I don't, I don't give them pressure to be involved in joining my group or joining a group. I just say, you know, just drink up and be around because there's something really special just about people, you know, and sometimes you'll find very unique parts of people, even if they're not associated to your group. So that's where my name comes from. Right. Yeah. I think now we're asking for people to come around you to, to help you because, um, as well as the dialysis diagnosis 14 years ago, so the renal failure diagnosis. Um, you've recently been in a hit and run that has left you in a bit of trouble and, and there's a, a fundraiser out to sort of help the support you get you back to your dialysis. Yes. Could you talk a little bit more about that incident and, and how people can help? Yeah. So Sunday night, which was October 22nd, I believe, I was involved in a hit and run I was driving through an intersection and an SUV. So I drive like a smaller car and an SUV like rammed into me. Um, man, it's probably doing about 40 to 45 miles an hour. I mean, it was doing me. And I, I didn't even see it because they didn't have their headlights on. So I was driving at night. So what happened was I had my window down and I could hear, you know, a car, but it sounded like, you know, when you drive with your windows down, you hear your car. So I thought, man, my car is extra loud. So it caused me to turn, man, right when I turn, I just see car. And then I was like, ah, so I had slammed on the gas to try to like, you know, move because man, if I was going any slower, that thing would have just ran right into me, you know, my door. And what it did is it ended up hitting my, uh, like the, the back door, the trunk, the tire, man, it smashed it in about, say about a foot, two feet into the trunk. And then I spun. And man, I remember yelling out in pain because I got hit right on my collarbone. <clears throat> like I felt most of the impact in my collarbone. And so I thought my collarbone snapped because um, that's, that's, how, that's how hard I got hit. I just remember just like laying there in the middle of the street, like, man, what the heck was that? So I kind of like turned to look and I saw the car there. So then my car just kind of just rolled off to safety. And then I think I was just checking myself because on the, on the driver's side, checking my arm. So I have, my dialysis access right here. And so if this gets punctured or um, potentially clotted, then it becomes an emergency situation where I have like seconds to like figure out how to either stop the bleeding or figure out if I need to make a tourniquet, you know, because um, it's attached to my heart. 
So that's why I only have seconds to like figure out what's going on. So man, I was freaking out. There's just so many things going on in my head. And then finally I get out of the car to go see if the car's still there. Never gone. Never taken off. So um, but yeah, I had a little bit of a minor whiplash in my neck, uh, parts of the back here, really, really stiff. My upper spine was really sore. And then obviously I had like this real I still have this bump here on my collarbone. So yeah. But yeah, as far as helping me, I have a GoFundMe um account right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, any any donations, anything can help. You know, I use my card to get to dialysis. So, you know, it's it's, it's tough. Yeah. We'll be linking to that in the episode description below. Appreciate it. Uh, times are financially difficult, a lot of people in a lot of places, but whatever you can afford to give will be gratefully received. And, and thank you if you are able to help Makako out mm-hmm. here. Hopefully. You know, it's your livelihood, isn't it? The the car and and, and so on, and it, it's not just yeah. your livelihood, but your life with with access to dialysis. Right. Recovering from from the whiplash and so on. It's sort of five days in. He's still still feeling it now. Is your? Yeah, you know, um, I think today is probably the best day. Yesterday I was still feeling it. You know, it's been a little bit cold as well, so the cold weather kind of keeps the muscles a little bit stiff. So um, I've been trying to use like a heat pad to keep the muscles nice and soft and. And I have a massage gun, so I try to like get in those areas. I just try to stiffen up. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm doing a lot better. My chest definitely is what's been bothering me the most, that collarbone area. But yeah, I think most likely by next week, I should be able to get back to training a little bit and get nice and strong again. Good luck. Thank you. The last question I like to ask my guests is, what is capoeira? Good question. Um, the easy answer, capoeira is a African and Brazilian martial art that incorporates dance elements, fighting elements, music elements, and history. Um, if we were to get deep, what is capoeira? Um, I, don't know, I try not to get too confusing about what capoeira is. I mean, capoeira is, it's so many things, man. It could be, it could be a lifestyle. It could be... For me, it's been a way of, it's my work, you know, it's, it's definitely how I, I make money. It's, it's how I talk to people. If I can elaborate, it's, you know, when you think of a game of capoeira, and I always try to, to use this example in the sense of like, assuming that there's a lot of people who don't know what capoeira is, right? When I have conversations with capoeira, you know, you give and you receive, you know, in a, in a very simple way. There's a, there's a way of understanding, not getting offended by someone asking you a hard question you know instead saying okay let me try to understand this conversation let me try to be present in this conversation and let me just answer the the question that's being asked let me not give more than what they're asking you know if you play a complicated game and you respond with too much it's a little overwhelming you know but if someone asks you hey why are you wearing that shirt and you say well because it's cold outside and I like the color of the shirt and it's pretty straightforward, you know, their response won't be so defensive. And I think, I think capoeira is, it's an exchange of clear questioning and clear answers, really. Uh, even though sometimes they are presented with something else in mind, because, you know, the more advanced you get, you can be a lot more clever with, with your responses. You can be a lot more clever with your questioning. But I think, you know, starting from the beginning, when I, again, when I'm speaking about people who don't do capoeira, try to not 
go that route where I say, well, you know, you, I'm going to trick you and, and I'm going to say these things, you know. I think there's a level of comfort that you need to develop with someone before you you cross that playing field. But yeah, I think capoeira is, is you know, we always use the analogy, it's a conversation. Um, but it is, it's a conversation. I would say it's a conversation um, with many with many paths that you can go. It could be an aggressive conversation. It could be a pleasant conversation. It could be a beautiful conversation. It could be a funny conversation. It could be a, um, it could be a conversation about preparation for war. It could be a conversation for overcoming oppression. It could be uh, a conversation about music, a conversation about history, definitely a conversation about life. So yeah, I think that's, that's for me, Capoeira is definitely a conversation about everything. I love that answer. Thank you. Are there any closing thoughts or comments you'd like to share with our listeners before we sign off? Man, uh, just really, really you know, appreciative of this opportunity to chat with you and 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 share you know my story. Yeah, man, I've been doing Capoeira all of my adult life, and uh, man, it, it continues to put me in the path of really, really amazing people such as yourself. And uh, yeah, I love I love this idea of podcasts and us. Speaking about Capoeira, there's so many stories to learn just from conversation. Again, you know, the, the the word conversation comes up in such a special way that you know I think having more conversations with Capoeiristas who've been doing Capoeira for a while and even new Capoeiristas just being so curious to know what's drawing them into Capoeira now. I think that ultimately helps us, you know, not only as teachers, but also as just reminding us of what we love about Capoeira. So yeah, I think this this opportunity has been Really amazing, and, and like I said, I'm really appreciative of, of this time and space with you. Well, my pleasure, and thank you also to our listeners for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email thelifecapoeira at gmail.com, and we're on Facebook and Instagram as well, and keen to hear from Capoeiristas of all levels and abilities and experience from anywhere in the world. And if you can help with the fundraiser, it would be gratefully appreciated. It's why we have uh, released the episode today, breaking the, the normal schedule, but we'll be back on track with it at an episode this Thursday coming, the 2nd of November. So thank you very much uh, from me and until next time, ciao.